0: You're listening to a 95BFM podcast. From our studio to yours, it's various artists with Francis and Liam.
1: maria, te nakoto kato ko Liam toku ingoa.
2: Cool, Francis Tokuungawa, no my my key various artists, more Wiki. Welcome to Various Artists. My name is Francis.
1: And my name is Liam. We will be with you for the next hour.
2: This is your guide to the big wide art world of Tamaki Makoto and beyond for this week. How are you doing today, Liam?
1: I'm doing very good. I'm very tired, but um, we've been chugging along and we've got some very, very cool guests on the show today, including a giveaway, which we will talk about more in a moment. But first of all, what have we got coming up on your end?
2: Yeah, can can, coming up on the show. First, we talk with Professor Annie Goldson about her new film premiering in the International Film Festival, Red Mole, a story about a radical theatre troupe which emerged out of New Zealand's counterculture in the early 1970s. I
1: have a chat with Ned Wenlock about his new graphic novel Tsunami, releasing on August
2: 1st. I also talked to Mark Williams, director of Circuit Artists Moving Image, about their film screening and publication launch for Otherwise Welding, a new reader on artists animation happening tomorrow evening at Te Uru.
1: And I chat to Nathan Poyo at Toyo Tamaki, the Auckland Art Gallery, about Ever Present, focusing on the art of Australia's first peoples.
2: And of course, to finish off the show, we have your art guide for Tamaki Makoto this week. He we would love to hear your thoughts on any of the pieces that we play today. So to himai, you can text us on 5395 Wayamai Rane, will give us a call in the studio. We are on 309
1: 3879. And on the topic of of the text machine uh, we have a copy of Tsunami to give away that was the graphic novel that I will be interviewing Ned Wenlock, the author and illustrator about later on in the show If you want to get a copy for yourself then you can text in to 5395 with your name, your b-card number and just the word Tsunami to go into the drawer. We will be giving that out before the end of the show so get your text in now.
2: Also, after the show, e te ano, he roki Maronga it pay or iredangi poho. Meahariki 95 BFM Irekatikom. You can catch all these chats and more by podcast on the 95 BFM website, 95 bfmcom What's it all for? Various artists. A radical theatre troupe which emerged out of New Zealand's counterculture in the early 1970s is the subject of Red Mole, a romance, a new film premiering at the 2023 Whanau Marama International Film Festival on the 4th and 5th of August at the ASB Waterfront Theatre. Annie Goldson is Professor of Communication at the University of Auckland and director, editor and producer of the film and joins us now in the studio to talk about the film.
3: Kia ora Annie, how are you? Kia ora, thank you for having me. Um, I've got a terrible cold actually, but apart from that I'm okay.
2: That's okay, that's usually Liam and I <laughs> from our damp student flats. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. please we're not the ones this week. Hey, why don't you start off um, by telling us how you came across the story of Red Mole?
3: Well, full disclosure, I'm old enough to remember them, in fact. And I had been working as a radio journalist in Wellington. And um, I saw them and I decided I didn't want to be part of the civil service, really, the public service, wrongly or rightly. So I took off to New York with them in 1981 and ended up staying in New York for over a decade. Our paths diverged, but certainly I, you know, was close enough in proximity to really recognise the sort of energy and vivaciousness and courage that they had.
2: Yeah, and the the courage that they had was really important for the history of New Zealand theatre. It really changed the entire landscape. Do you want to speak to that a little bit and what their role was in changing New Zealand theatre?
3: I mean, sure, it was the counterculture period, so there were also um, groups like Blurter who were quite radical too, but Red Mole was the interesting genre it was a mix of poetry of theatre of mask of physical theatre always with great music and um, so it was just a particular mix that was both sort of radical and joyful at the same time so theatre at that point was very much as someone says in the film a group of middle class people talking about things to each other <laughs> very much on the sort of kind of british line so red mole was anything but that and i think that they wowed a lot of young people in particular i think that they raised the hackles particularly of um, prime minister robert muldoon um but yeah they were quite a phenomenon in that period but they then did go to new york and sort of between 79 and 81 coming back and forth a bit so the kind of heyday in the um New Zealand context was really in Wellington where um, Wellington liked them and they liked Wellington and they had Mm. some very interesting shows that Mm. we look at in the film, yeah.
2: Yeah, you've made quite a few documentaries, Annie, and I'm interested to know when you decided that this was the story you wanted to tell and why it was the right time at the moment.
3: Well, I often say to my students, you know, ideas are kind of everywhere, but you have to recognise them as having their time um, you know, there has to be an audience interested in watching the idea. It has to be realisable. Sometimes it has to get funding, although I didn't in terms of Red Mole, which is why I took on so many different tasks, because it was always going to be difficult to get, you know, funders to support it. So. I suppose it's been something to do with my own history that I've been interested in exploring. I also notice an interesting thing amongst my students, and, you know, I have to take my hat off to a bunch of younger people who helped me on this film, and I'd like to name them in a bit, but I noticed how a lot of my um, students are interested in the counterculture in that period because certainly the political contradictions that the counterculture tried to address, you know, sometimes imperfectly, but they tried to address. Those contradictions have not gone away. Mm. You know, they were conscious of the environment. They were using kind of op shop cool. They were, you know, anti-capitalist, in fact. Mm. Um, Not quite socialist, but it was very, um, you know, sometimes they fell short of issues around gender and race. But, you know, I think that they tried to in that context. So I feel that a lot of young people today have returned to those ideas, you know, after, I guess, what you could say, the sort of 90s and early 2000s, which Mm -hmm. were more money-orientated. So, yes, so I guess the time just kind of felt right.
2: Yeah, yeah, and if I think about um, films like Six Angry Women, for example, which uses similar archival footage of the university Mm -hmm. um, during those sort of times, you definitely having a, a, a resurgence or regaining interest from people, in particularly of, of our generation and, and slightly older. Um, who does the film follow as subjects? Uh, if people come to see the film, who, who can they see on screen?
3: Well, um, the, the surviving members of Red Mole, you know, core members of Red Mole, are interviewed. Um, they form the primary interviews, really, although I do have also some sort of commentators that address, for example, the social-political moment. But they all knew Red Mole too, so it's not like they're detached experts. Um, so Deborah Hunt, who's actually just been interviewed by Kim Hill and will be um, appearing on Saturday's show. She Great. now lives in Puerto Rico. She's a really important character. Um, Martin Edmund, who was both a Red molar, but also wrote a history of Red Mole recently. So he's both a historian um, and, a, and a participant, if you like. Um, John Davies, who was part of the original core group now there have been a couple of deaths um which i won't elaborate on here but there is um the daughter of the founders ruby brunton is also a very important character and you know she's in her 30s so is a sort of generation younger so she's an Mm -hmm. important character as well so it's both a sort of social and cultural history but it's also quite a poignant personal story.
2: Yes absolutely and the the film traverses through quite a few different cities or locations Mm. um, which you say are meaningful to the film's narrative. Do you want to speak to that a little bit those different spaces?
3: Yes well I shot it in Mexico because that's where Ruby lives so I shot it in Mexico and in New York where Red Mole spent a lot of time as did I and then in various locations in Aotearoa, which was significant too. So um, I was actually filming in New York when <laughs> when COVID struck, so I had to hot foot it back here, so that was a fairly kind of rapid shoot. Um, so you say with the significant locations, really Aotearoa and New York are significant to the Red Mole story. Ruby happened to be living in Mexico, which is a really cool place to um, to film and then she's a talented poet and writer herself so you know I certainly incorporated some of those more poetic elements too
2: Mm. and obviously you've decided that this is a timely and important story to tell um but went through uh I'd say unconventional avenues of funding or taking on all of these Mm. roles yourself and bringing in a bigger a bigger and younger team perhaps why did you decide to fund the film in that way?
3: Well, I am an experienced fundraiser. I'm quite an experienced producer in kind of the world of film and television. And I just thought it was going to be a hard pitch, you know, a long documentary on a sort of avant-garde experimental theatre troupe that um, not that many people remember. So I thought that was going to be a sort of difficult pitch. It might not seem to get the audiences perhaps that the funders would want. So I didn't want to spend a lot of time fundraising i did you know i am supported by the university of auckland which is terrific because you know i have a job but also i managed to get you know a reasonable research grant which allowed me to travel and then the younger people i've worked with and i'd like to single out um harry ashley who's currently i think doing his 360 in france heather wallace who's um a comms media comms student ewan collins who's a fantastic composer he's I think just graduated from the School of Music and has been a PTF there. My son Ben Goldson, alumni of BFM in fact. Um, Excellent. So they all worked incredibly hard and I was heartened by their interest and I think I learnt quite a lot about from them about what was important to them about Red Mole, which helped me sort of shape the edit, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, So yes, I mean, I managed to pay them a little bit through kind of little bits and pieces of grants I managed to get from the university. But you know, I really took on the major roles, like I probably spent six to eight months editing it Wow, um, and yeah. I, I
2: would like to speak about that because there's a lot of um, archival footage mm. uh, and material that you've obviously waded through and, and selected out. What was that process like and how did you come across those archives? Oh,
3: it was an amazing story, actually. You know, this film has very close ties to the University of Auckland because, you know, Alan was a sort of young Turk poet in the English department and Sally, his partner, they were the founders of Red Mole. She was sort of in the art student centre, arts scene, and... Um, but they were extraordinary at retaining archives. Even though they never had very much money and they travelled a lot, they sort of kept everything. And they were... In one way, the film is almost a history of technology because when they were performing first, it was everyone was shooting black and white stills. It was sort of pre-video. Um, Sam Neill, in fact, directed a film on them. That would have probably been 16mm or even 35mm for the... National Film Unit. So there is some moving image footage, which was really valuable. Mm. But what happened is the Red Mole Archive was actually, um, through the efforts of Professor Michelle Leggett, was um, housed at the Special Collections here at the University Library. So this was a massive collection of photographs, scripts, um, posters, audio recordings, you know, ephemera... Ticket stubs, yeah. all sorts of things. Yeah. So, and this is actually where Heather Wallace, my assistant, was incredible at sort of, and and, and Harry Ashley too, at sorting through, kind of re-photographing things. So we probably refoto I mean prephotographed about four thousand photographs, wow. and then we made the selection, and then we did high res digitizations yeah. of those, which is sort of the process you follow. So. Um, And then Ben Goldson did a lot of the international outreach because there's a lot of kind of gritty footage of New York in the day, which was, you know, I was there, it was pretty rough. Yeah, wow. So,
2: yeah. And if people want to come and see this work, Mm -hmm. uh, see the film, where can they go to do that?
3: Well, it's currently showing in all four centres at the International Film Festival. It's premiering in Wellington, which is appropriate, this Sunday, and then I think there's a Monday screening too. And then it's coming to Auckland, where it's showing on the fourth and fifth of August, and then the Christchurch and Porty dates are uh, after that, sort of mid-November, I mean mid-August. So they could look on the um, film festival website, and just and um, after that, I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, just I'm um, relieved it got into the festival, and yeah. very grateful because it will get an audience and. Um, you know, it's just not a super commercial television prospect, so I was very pleased. But, you know, I'm thinking I haven't really organised that, but I've got some giveaways too, if you want to um, tell your listeners. I've got mm. four quite beautiful posters, oh, wow. and I thought we'd give a couple of tickets away too. Um, so, I, I, Liam, do you know if we can do that?
1: It? it is slightly late notice, but we could work on that for next
2: week's.
3: Okay. Show okay, well I could um, if people want to call in to BFM I guess, is that the thing to do? Yeah,
2: fantastic. How, yeah. how about we crack on through the rest of the show and we'll okay. sort out how to get yeah, those yeah. on? Awesome, thank you so much, Annie. That was Annie Goldson, director, editor and producer of Red Mole, A Romance, speaking with me about the film, which premieres uh, at Whānau Marama International Film Festival this August. You are on Various Artists with Frances and Liam. If you have any thoughts on what we're talking about on the show today, you can text us on 5395. We'll be back after these messages.
0: What's a seven-letter word for street fighter? Brawler. Hey, you're right. Okay, what about treasure trunks and six? Chests. They said you were good. Hey, what's happening at Ponsonby Social Club this week? Well, tonight
4: there's... The Nick Taylor Experience. And tomorrow... <laughs> DJ's John Boogie and Tackers.
2: Same old Ponsonby Social Club, 152 Ponsonby Road.
0: Hemp Store at 253 Karangahapi Road. For nationwide delivery, visit himstore.co.nz or call 0800-HEMP-STORE. For the best in hemp, you, you gotta keep it green. The Hemp Store
5: on K Road is what you need. Ever gazed at the seemingly never-ending landscape of the sky? Wondering just what might be beyond planet Earth? Uncover its mysteries and magnitude this month with Tuhura Tuarangi, Aotearoa in space.
2: Learn and play with out-of-this-world activities that showcase
3: space technology and the world-leading research going on right here in Aotearoa.
5: Get your hands crafting and mind sharpening with fun and facts for the whole though.
2: Play, build, launch and explore the origins of our night sky this July at MoTat. Find out more at motat.nz.
1: Nominations for the AUSA Student Executive 2023 are now open.
2: If you're passionate about making a difference to student life, and don't mind getting paid for the pleasure. There are 12 roles available, including President, Women's Rights Officer, Design Officer and more.
1: Whether you're into party planning, social justice, or you're just thirsty for power, there's a role for you in the AUSA exec.
2: Nominations close Friday 28th July, so get yourself nominated today. Go to ausa.org.nz elections.
4: Music's everywhere. everywhere.
5: It's like a cloud of art. Here at 95BFM, we've sucked up some of the best contemporary bangers, bottled them and chucked them into a special Spotify playlist just for you.
2: Our July playlist features Aphex Twin, Slow Dive, The Breeders, Guardian Singles, and Church. Follow 95 BFM on Spotify for our monthly Spotify playlist and stay o' fame. If music is the food of love, then we hope you're hungry, because you've got a ticket to the buffet. Love
5: language. If music is the fuel of love, then vroom vroom baby, it's time to hop on board. Love language.
2: And if music is the language of love, then you better tune in to Love Language to stay literate. Love Language. Spend some quality time with your Love Language hosts Misa, Carlotta and Scarlett. 9 to 11pm on the last three Saturdays of every month. Right here on 95 BFM. Only positive critiques. Honest.
5: Various artists.
1: Karkati, based illustrator and animator Ned Wenlock is coming out with Tsunami a 278 page graphic novel published by Earths End Publishing next month this is the first book that Earth's End has published since 2019 and goes through the story of Peter a 12 year old boy in his last six weeks of primary school as we mentioned earlier on the show we have a copy of Tsunami to give away to one lucky b-card holder be sure to text in with your name b-card and tsunami to, and the word tsunami, to five two nine five to be in the drawer. We will be pulling that just before the end of the show. I had a chat with Ned about the book, what went into it, and more. Here's that yarn now.
4: Hi, my name's Ned Winlock. I'm an animator, illustrator, and I've just done a graphic novel.
1: How long has Tsunami been in the works for?
4: Well, I started in 2019. Uh, I put out a mini-comic of the first 40 pages. And and um, Publishing were interested. So um, by 2020, when the, the pandemic kicked off, I started drawing more of it then. And it went through right through till 2022.
1: So was the pandemic kind of a, oh, well, we're all indoors, may as well get this done finally type thing?
4: Just coincided with it, really. Um, and my whole family was locked down here. And I was just like... Um, it didn't really affect me too badly. Um, I was just able to just focus on the pages and that worked out quite well in that respect. Mm.
1: Yeah, and I mean, how has that been kind of being able to take your time on this over, what, about like two, three years for if you're kind of counting 2023? How has that
4: been? Yeah, I've never like taken time off like this to do this sort of thing uh, before. And you really sort of uh, get into the I do know, a, a strange headspace where you become a little bit antisocial and you sort of shut down sort of all external sort of things and um, just, yeah, focusing in on the stories and the characters. And although I really enjoyed it, I actually really enjoyed it when it finished as well.
3: <laughs> yeah. I could
4: come out of it, you know, sort of come out of the cocoon at the other end and just, yeah, uh, you know, talk to people again. It was
1: great. Could just kind of, like, stay in and just focus so strongly on one project is that kind of how you would prefer to work more of the time or do you prefer kind of being able to do this sort of on the side Uh, whilst working other things
4: to be honest to be honest i i do prefer to work on one thing at a time with tsunami i couldn't do that completely there were commercial jobs and things like that i had to do as well um but there were chunks of time that i put aside to do it so um that was quite good but yeah if i had my my ultimate dream would be to be able to just focus on I don't know, making a graphic novel or a, or a film or something or other, you know, just focusing on that entirely for sure.
1: Mm. And how would you pitch Tsunami to a newcomer?
4: A lot of comics I've done in the past have been um, sort of within the mundane horror kind of um, realm. And um, sometimes I lean more into the mundane, sometimes they lean more into the sort of the horror side of things. And with this one, I wanted to kind of, follow the same path but be more realistic be more kind of um, naturalistic and um, so I suppose the this, this story is, is, is kind of very simply about a 12 year old boy and his last six weeks at primary school and there's kind of like a the tsunami that, uh, from the title refers to basically uh, a mounting sense of dread over those six weeks which leads up to an event at the end. And it's sort of like, a, it's following like a, a horror trope, but within a very ordinary New Zealand family landscape.
1: Why has this kind of combination of horror and urbanism and the mundane slice of lifestyle of storytelling, why did combining those two things appeal to you?
4: I love horror and I love uh mundane but I do find that if it is just mundane it's too boring and if it's just horror then it's too kind of um uh schlocky too kind of uh you know boring in its own way in in some ways you know so the combination of the two it's just like a sweet spot for me I just really like that
1: Mm. And kind of going through the story of a 12-year-old boy, uh, especially in their last weeks of primary, it's quite a universal experience for um, people in Aotearo to kind of have that weird sense of dread, especially like, I don't know, I think it's good because it's easy to downplay, I guess, like the things that young folks go through, especially in that sort of time where you're 12 and you're confused and you've got no idea what's going on. Was that sort of like drawn from your own experiences?
4: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the things, especially early on in the book, a lot of the incidences and things were drawn entirely from uh, my own childhood. And I think one thing I discovered while doing that is that it's sort of when you think that you have your own kind of path through life and stuff like that, and, and, and maybe that you are a unique person or whatever, what you find is that, Like those things, I think, are universal because it happens to so many different people, you know. So I found that, like, I was worried a little bit, I suppose, that it would be too cliche in a way, some of those things, but they did actually happen. So I kind of felt like I could put them in, you know.
1: Mm. And how does it feel to kind of take those real-life experiences and put them into a piece of art like this?
4: I, 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 I really enjoy it. I think, for me, if there's an element of truth in something. It sort of comes out, you can tell. Whereas if something's sort of written by a team of writers or something or other and they're following plots, then you can also tell about that. So I, I, I prefer the kind of the truth side of things, you know. Um, if there's an element of truth to it, it sort of hits harder, the, the um, emotional weight of the story.
1: Yeah, I mean, you both um, wrote and illustrated all of this comic, which is quite a lofty one, a good two hundred and pages. Um, yeah. with I've gotten a copy from the lovely folks over at EarthSend and had a flick through and it's like a lot of a lot of panels, which I incredibly strongly <laughs> congratulate you for. Thank um you, thank you. What has that process kind of been like working on such a large scale project for this?
4: Well one thing about it which I really kind of liked was that in the past i've done much shorter things and <clears throat> they've always had to kind of um fit into like a uh what's what's the word for it kind of like a like a snappy start middle and end um and it always comes with a kind of like a payoff at the end you know um and and one thing about this having so, something so long is that you don't necessarily need to do payoffs all the time you know And that was something that I just leant into and enjoyed that, enjoyed not having to um, tell a joke or, or, you know, uh, wrap things up or, you know, I I could just sort of live with it. And that that felt really good. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the illustration style uh, within Tsunami is super simplistic and stylized. What went into using the style of illustration that you did being very kind of like shape-driven and simple and very clean to the eyes?
4: Uh, I started drawing in the style in about sort of early 2000s and before that i have been using kind of brush and ink and doing slightly more realistic um, illustrations and I spent a whole year, I'm <clears throat> sorry, spent a whole year trying to do a comic um, in that brush and ink style. And I got like maybe 16 pages done. And it just took so long that I thought I've got to find a better way of doing this. You know, I want to be able to churn out pages much faster. Um, and so I came up with a much simpler style. And I think what I like about it is that it's become, for me, it's become like a, it's almost like a typeface. You know, you've chosen a typeface to go with. And um, it's just very functional. Um, there's nothing extraneous about it, and um, the characters themselves are so dead simple that, like, the only thing that re- which really defines them from each other is their hairstyle or what they wear. You know, um, and I think the the thing that makes it interesting is the dialogue and so, yeah, focusing on that and, and and telling the story through the dialogue, more so than the images themselves. The images are just sort of placeholders for timing in a way, you know?
1: Like I said before you both wrote and illustrated this graphic novel. Would you consider yourself to be more of a writer or an illustrator or just a kind of weird mishmash of the both?
4: <clears throat> Probably more of an illustrator um, like in my day job I'm an animator and illustrator and um i find writing it takes me a long time um so um i really enjoy it but it's not something that comes naturally to me um yeah
1: that being said you've worked with earthsend publishing to get this book out get it published and it's cool because it's their first uh release since like 2019 or so so it's kind of a bit of a return for them which is really nice what has it been like working with earthsend
4: Oh, they're great. They're great. There's three guys there, um, and this is—I I I believe this is their like their side hustle. Um, and they're just really interested in promoting the art of New Zealand graphic novels by a variety of different arts. They basically um, followed me through the whole process of writing the thing. I would send them updates and things like that, and they were just really good with feedback. And towards the end, when I was sort of just trying to finish the thing. They were very supportive about making changes of direction or anything like that, you know, just trying to get something which was honest and truthful out at the end rather than necessarily something that was 100% marketable, you know.
1: Yeah, and just to close things off, I guess, what really drove you to tell this story? Why did you want to put it together and see it finished through and out in the world?
4: Like, I've been drawing lots of little comics for a long time, and... um, I was thinking about um, well, I basically it was it was I discovered this character, the character of Peter. I just thought he had legs for a longer story. I just I really was interested in someone who was so stubborn, uh, and so righteous. And I thought if you put him as opposed to other things. And if he was so stubborn that he wouldn't be able to change, I thought that would create an interesting kind of dynamic within a story. He's not a very likable character, but I just thought that he was an interesting character, you know. And I think that's what I look for with anything, is, is mainly the character first.
1: Awesome. I think that's all from me. Do you have anything else that you want to um, plug or that our audiences know about?
4: Um, well, uh, having a book launch on the 12th of uh, August, Um, down at Paikakariki um, St. Peter's Hall um, at 2 p.m., and anyone is welcome.
1: That was Ned Wenlock speaking about his graphic novel, Tsunami. That'll be releasing in all good bookstores on the 1st of August. But once again, we have one copy to give away to one lucky B-card holder. Text in to 5395 with your name, your B-card number, and Tsunami to be in the draw. We'll be pulling that towards the end of the show. You are on Various Artists. Uh, Yeah, we would love to hear from you. Text in from 5395, either to take part in the giveaway or just to say hi.
2: Various Artists with Francis and Liam. So you can go to the opening for more than just the snacks. Circuit, the platform dedicated to supporting moving image artists, is about to release Other Wide a new reader on artists' animation featuring essays, conversations and a playthrough of an interactive game. Circuit asks, how can animation and contemporary moving image practices be critical of the commercial demand for spectacle and efficiency? How can it serve as a tool for world building and reimagining history beyond imperialist, white, cis, male-dominated narratives? No small questions to tackle. To hear about the reader and the opening event, I caught up with Circuit Director Mark Williams. Here we are now looking forward to chatting to you today no doubt you're sort of under the pump getting ready to launch this thing yeah i'm trying to remember
0: all the little things you know like chairs
2: (laughs) yes well (laughs) quite fundamental eh? hey cool well yeah let's um just jump into a chat about otherwise welding why don't you start off maybe by explaining to me what circuit is for any listeners that don't know
0: yeah of course okay so Circuit is an arts agency based in Wellington, and what we do is distribute artists' films. Uh, On our website, circuit.org.nz, we have a 1,000 streaming videos by around 200 New Zealand artists. And we also commission a lot of films as well. So right now we have an exhibition at the Adam Art Gallery in Wellington. We've had exhibitions in Auckland in the past at galleries like Artspace in Te Uru. And we do a lot of work with film festivals and art galleries internationally as well. So basically what we're trying to do is build an audience for New Zealand artists who are working in the moving image.
2: And it's quite a quite a vibrant scene, the New Zealand moving image artist scene. Um, why do you think it's so important to provide a platform for moving artist images like you do? Moving image artists, let me say that correctly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: it's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? Well, um, I started at Circuit about well, 11 years ago now and um, before that I worked for what was then called the New Zealand Film Archive in Wellington. And I ran an exhibition space there, and we did about 60 shows in my time there. And then I went went and worked in London for a while at a distributor of artist films, actually the biggest distributor of artist films in Europe, and they said to me that they had no idea this kind of work existed in New Zealand. And when I thought about the quality of the work, I thought that surely um, it seemed impossible that the work wasn't more well-known And it seemed like there was a gap there for an organisation to come along and just to help the artists spread their work to a wider world, I suppose.
2: And otherwise welding is an extension of that, uh, the ethos which you've brought to circuit. Do you want to explain what otherwise welding is?
0: Okay, so last year we had an exhibition at Teiru curated by Tendai Mutambu, which is called Otherwise Image Welding. And that was an exhibition which asked five artists to consider to work with animation as a tool to build worlds, if you like. And I guess the, the kind of impetus for it was looking at a work by Ari e. Jansen called Sonia and Corpsy, in which this character kind of remakes their own body and flies in between buildings. So they transcend like the limits of, of the body, of gender, um, and of physical space. And it was also interesting to me that they managed to do this you know, without having to pay, like, a crew of people, um, a bunch of technicians and so forth, they could just do this with animation on their computer. So I asked Tendai to invite five artists to, to work with animation and explore, like, how kind of malleable this tool was for artists. And um, out of that has come a reader, which is a nice 66-page publication, which is what we're launching on Saturday night at Te Uru at 6 o'clock. And it's got interviews with the artists, it's got essays on the artist's work. It's got a lovely page work by a British artist, Daniel Braithwaite Shirley, who was also in the show, which kind of mimics, I guess, almost 80s video games. So um, the exhibition ended, but we really want to keep those conversations going because they're important and... Like I say, we want to spread the the word about the artist's work, and it seemed like a great way to do it.
2: Mm, Absolutely, and I'm sure a lot of work went into putting together a publication of that size as well. Will you be showing films at the event as well? It's
0: absolutely a film screening as well,
2: and it's completely free to attend.
0: So we're going to show five films by five artists, the five artists who are in the original exhibition. So that is uh, Danielle, who I mentioned from the UK, um, and from New Zealand, Juliet Carpenter, uh, Tanu Nano, Ari Johnson and uh, Sorowit Tsongsa So, um, yeah, 40-minute screening of works by those five artists. The reader is going to be 20 bucks in uh, shops, but on the night it'll just be $10. But if you just want to come along, watch some great movies, hear me talk for five minutes beforehand, <laughs> it's all free.
2: Oh, that's great. Well, hopefully some listeners will um, get out to Te Uru to enjoy that event. Hey, another question I had was, when, when myself and I know for others think about moving image, I think our minds don't instantly jump to animation. Um, and I'm wondering what animation offers that other moving image mediums don't from your observations from working on this project
0: well, I think it's just that ability to create a world that comes entirely out of your own imagination, that is, is completely unlimited, completely boundless, can absolutely, uh, you know, walk time and space, uh, the physical body, it can be anything you want it to be, but you can do it on a budget. And I think that's just a remarkably emancipatory kind of medium. And of course you can bring other people in too, and some of these artists have done that as well, some have worked with actors, um, animators, and so forth. Um, but then if you look at like somebody like Ari Jensen, they're just making their own work at home on their own. And sometimes they've also kind of appropriated little bits of kind of mass culture as well. There There's some reference to things like gaming in there, and that kind of merges with the real world, which in Ari's work is actually the world of Ari and their friends playing the game, which is a kind of curious melding of worlds as well. So I guess it's a kind of... Um, It's a marvellous kind of free-for-all where you can do anything that your imagination really dreams up.
2: Mm, Absolutely. Are are you able to give listeners a sneak peek description of any of the films they might be able to see?
0: Oh, well, let me see. So many good films. I mean, where should we begin? I mean, mean Sorowit's work is a really beautiful piece. Um, So Sorowit is a New Zealander who was born in Thailand, and the film, in a way... Uh, as a way of keeping in touch with their mother whilst being in New Zealand, their mother being still in Thailand. So the film traces some places they went through with their mother and, in Thailand, a lot of temple sites, for example, and these kind of crumble away, I guess the way kind of memories kind of do, and then they recombine into new kind of memories and places, shared moments with their mother, and then they crumble and they recombine again. And I know actually sorry of, uh said to me they weren't sure whether this was even an artwork. It was more just a way of making that connection with their mother, which I think is a really a really beautiful thing to do. Um, then you have Danielle's work, which, as I say, kind of references the aesthetics of 80s video games, which are kind of like pick-a-path, kind of blocky primary-colour graphics, lots of big bits of text, all in all caps, where will you go to the left, will you go through the flaming door, will you uh, jump onto the burning parapet something like that uh, and then of course you have Tanu's work which is about a kind of history of Pacific migration really beautiful piece uh, in the exhibition we showed it with uh, and you could wear 3D glasses so this will be the only opportunity you'll probably get to see it in 2D I suppose for a while Hari's work I mentioned that kind of melding of worlds the game world and the real world of playing and then Juliet's work is, is very interesting because it, on the surface it's, it's not actually animation it's It's a film, a very strange film, about a woman who appears to be undergoing some sort of strange event in a room somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And downstairs is a baby crying. And the idea of animation in this is really whether or not the baby is actually a real person. So that's a very strange twist on it. So there you go, a very, very mixed.
2: Absolutely. I'm completely intrigued. I think I might have to come out myself. Um, Oh, please do. (laughs) So where can listeners go if they want to come and see these films and pick up that that cheaper copy of The Reader?
0: Uh, It's at Te Uru, 6pm on Saturday. We will have it in some shops afterwards, but it's going to be much easier to turn up on the day, get it for the cheaper price. And um, if you have cash, uh, that's preferred as well, just
2: 10 bucks. Awesome. And do listeners need to book a seat for the screening at all?
0: No, that's fine. Uh, Come one, come all. But by all means, uh, get there early so you do get a seat.
2: Indeed, do get there early so you get a seat. That was Director of Circuit Artist Moving Image, Mark Williams, talking with me about Otherwise Welding, which is launching tomorrow evening at Te Uru. You're on Various Artists. Stay tuned. We'll be back. Whānau Marama, New Zealand International Film Festival is back for 2023. The world's best filmmakers are bringing their latest creations to Aotearoa. From major award winners and nominees, to creations from our very own soil, this is the perfect opportunity to see some truly excellent films. Grab yourself a festival guide from participating venues and create your ultimate NZIFF experience. Farno Marama, New Zealand International Film Festival. On now till 6 August. Tickets and info available at nziff.co.nz.
3: Hey Captain, do you think we'll ever
4: find the land of the, good we'll groove? the, land of the good groove? Patience, Sonny Jim. It's just we've been floating on this dinghy for months, months, since the crew mutiny. Patience, Sonny Jim. It's concerning that you keep repeating that, repeating that. I don't even think my name is Sonny Jim. My name is Sonny Jim. Is that my name? <laughs> Captain! Patience, Captain. Sonny Jim. Sonny I am Sonny, Sonny Jim. Jim! We are both Sonny, Sonny Jim! Jim. Land Lando, blue. we made it.
5: Let's drink some more seawater to celebrate.
3: Land of the Good Groove with Murray Kamek. <laughs> Bringing a solid hour of funk, electricity, and soul to your Friday afternoons. It's time to move. Time
2: to
4: get
3: you loose. You want. Land of the Good Groove. 1 till 2 p.m. every Friday, right here on 95BFM.
4: Oh, don't suffer for your art
3: chat.
1: Furious Artists with Francis and Liam. Tomorrow, Auckland Art Gallery Toyo Tamaki will be opening ever-present, the First Peoples Art of Australia. This exhibition has travelled from the National Gallery of Australia and the US Farmers Collection of Australian Art to bring artwork from Australia's First Peoples from 1890 till today over to Aotearoa, showcasing the work of over 160 artists. This will be open from tomorrow, Saturday the 29th of July till Sunday the 29th of October, 2023. I had a yarn with Toyo Tamaki's Senior Curator of Māori Art, Nathan Pōhio, about these exhibitions.
5: Everpresent consists of over 150 artworks by 160 plus First Peoples Artists of Australia. It's possibly the largest exhibition of First Peoples Artists. Um, from Australia to come to Tāmaki Makoto. This morning we had an incredible example of the mana and tanga, the rangatiratanga rāwa ko whakapunaunga tanga, through the truly awesome, inspiring karakia of Ngāti Whātua orake. We're on the other side of that now.
1: What sort of artists do you have uh, taking part in this exhibition? Because it's kind of a range from modern artists to people way back in the 19th century, Now
5: exhibition includes ancestors, so that is um, artists with no official record, but then there are, of course, conversations going on with the people uh, who may have descended from those artists themselves, and um, there's always conversation, I, w- I would imagine, going on where people are working out if possibly they have to particular artworks, Um, But certainly there are several works by ancestors uh, in the show. There are many works by leading uh, First Peoples contemporary artists from the 1970s, um, including most of all uh, the artists in this show are internationally famous masters of of First Peoples Art of Australia. We're talking about materials, the point in time where customary drawing or painting, if you like, on the whenua, on the ground, um, was migrated over towards paint on paper and or bark and finally canvas. And that whole visual language that many would maybe think of when they consider The First People Out of Australia, uh, we have masters of those works present in the show. It's uh, an exhibition that really just keeps giving in terms of a profound sense of um, depth, cultural integrity, um, cultural narrative, uh, customary practices. um, And there's a great sense of, um, there's continuities of First People's notions of being in place. So I'm talking about country, community, um, family, um, respect of resources, respect of the whenua, of the teao, the environment. Um, and you see that in a lot of the works where the environment actually is the material used to make the works. Um, there's all this incredible depth. A, a member of staff actually described it as like some are entering the gallery which I thought was a beautiful metaphor for what the exhibition actually feels like in some places. It does actually feel like the sun's come out in the gallery spaces. These works are so incredibly warm.
1: What sort of experiences have you guys at Toi had with collaborating with uh, the National Gallery of Australia and the West Farmers Collection of Australian Art uh, to bring at the present over to Aotearoa?
5: That's a good question, and I would, I would begin the response by acknowledging our director, Kirsten Lacey, who comes to us from having worked previously at the National Gallery of Australia, who was part of the early development of this exhibition through her connections with the National Gallery of Australia and Wes Farmers, has been able to build this um, relationship Uh, to the point where we were able to receive the exhibition. We felt uh, audiences here would um, engage with and find um, meaningful and enlightening and challenging and all all the good things that an exhibition should do for its audience. Out of that, we've built good professional working relationships and I think friendships. Um, we've gotten to know each other over the time. There's people I should actually acknowledge. I can, you know, We have Aboriginal curator Tina Baum from the National Gallery of Australia. Uh, we have the inaugural First Peoples Deputy Director of the National Gallery of Australia, Bruce Johnson-McLean, um, along with Helen Carroll-Fairhall, Manager of Wes West, West Farmers Arts. And um, also we have with us two artists who are in the exhibition, Ree and Christopher Pease, so there's a really great sense of um, communal, collaborative camaraderie uh, between our three institutions, and and it's great that also we have two of the artists here who are able to participate in this this really special opening this morning and to also be part of our. Um, kicking off our public programmes. So tomorrow, for example, um, Ree and Christopher will be available to give artist talks near their works, and we will have a panel discussion um, in our auditorium at 2pm tomorrow afternoon. Um, If anyone wants to come along and have a listen, um, that would be fantastic, please do.
1: Why do you think that it's so important for the people of Tamaki Makoto to go to this exhibition and learn more about the toy and the art that the First Peoples of Australia created?
5: Well, it's an opportunity for all of Aotearoa to engage with the art of First Peoples, Artists of Australia. It's a significant show in its span. It's an immense show. It takes up the entire first floor galleries that's the the farmers, the Robertsons, and the and the so ons. Um, it takes up the entire first floor. There is, like I say, there's over 150 works on display, and it's a really it's a very rare opportunity to see this um, this wealth of as well as depth of art uh, from these artists. And I just kind of think it it would be it would be a remiss uh, for people to just Pass it by. It's the kind of exhibition that um, that spans many moods and feelings. It's it, um, it's got it shares many concerns as as well as it's it's got a lot of celebration or celebratory works in it. So it's an honest exhibition and it really demands attention, not passivity, exploration and contemplation over expectation or assumption. Um, <clears throat> it really it asks for um, your engagement as an audience or as a viewer, and sometimes there's challenging content, but also there's that allows for gentle immersions into beautiful moments, and these are all drawn under the span of the ever Presence title. I think that's why it's significant to Tamaki Makoto, but it's not just to Tamaki; it's actually for Aotearoa.
1: That was Toyo Tamaki's Senior Curator of Māori Art, Nathan Pōhio, chatting about Everpresent, First People's Art of Australia. They'll be opening tomorrow and stay on until the end of October.
2: It's the 95 BFM Art Guide on various artists. It's paintings in that.
1: To begin, we are still in the midst of Whānau Marama, the New Zealand International Film Festival, where all sorts of incredible new movies are being shown across Tamaki Makoto. The good folks over on Bratki are still doing all sorts of good stuff on B-movies right now, so you can tune into those segments or take a look at what's on yourself at nziff.co.nz.
2: <laughs> Let me put my microphone on. Ramiree Friday, the 28th of July, which is today, happening at uh, Railway Street Studios and on until August the 5th, is a piece of me by Maria Owens. That's at 8 Railway Street, Newmarket. Dahroy Saturday, tomorrow the 29th of July. Circuit Moving Image, of course, present a film screening and launch of their film, uh, their reader, Other Otherworlding, at Te Udu Gallery at 6pm.
1: As we also heard earlier in the show, ever-present First Peoples Art of Australia will be opening at Toya Tamaki Auckland Art Gallery. From 2 till 3pm, there'll be a corridor between the curator and two artists from the exhibition.
2: Rapa, Wednesday the 2nd of August, Campbell Patterson's Notions will be previewing at Michael Lett Gallery on Karangahape Road. That'll be from 6 till 8pm.
1: And on Rāpere, Thursday, the 3rd of August, First, first Thursdays is back on Krangahape Road. Alongside a multitude of awesome music, markets, and kai, you can treat yourself to a free Kahua workshop with Simone Monu at Studio One, Toy Two, and take a look at the opening night at Studio 445 of A Garden to Banish Loneliness by, with, by the Wii by the Without Appeal Collective artwork inspired by sci-fi landscapes and fairy tales.
2: If you have an event, exhibition, or anything else you want to get on the art guide, you can get in touch with us at arts at 95bfm.com. That was the 95BFM Art Guide.
1: All right, before we close out the show, just a quick giveaway. Uh, uh, do we do a little? Do a little?
2: We can do a drum roll, Murray Do you want to do a drum roll with us? No, Murray doesn't <laughs> want to do a drum roll.
1: <laughs> Ash, you have won a copy of Tsunami by Ned Wenlock. Congratulations! That will be at the ninety-five BFM prize cupboard uh, for you to pick up whenever you can. Congratulations, and thank you very much for supporting us.
2: Woohoo! Congrats, Ash. Shall we get to the outro? Yeah.
0: Various artists with Francis and Liam.
2: That's all for us on various artists for today.
1: Thank you to everybody who chatted with us.
2: To Annie Goldson, Ned Wenlock, Mark Williams, and Nathan ana. Thanks so much for tuning in out there. Remember, if you'd like to listen back to any of those chats, and more from the wonderful BFM, you can do that at 95bfm.com.
1: Ka my mai mato a tere wiki. Next up is Land of the Good Groove. You're listening to 95 BFM.